Welcome to I've Got a Question. Hi, I'm your host, Shira Greenspan. This podcast is a place to dive into the things you've always wanted to know. Kids like you from all over the world have been sending in their questions about Pesach. I wonder what today's question is going to be. Hi, my name is Rosiella Rosenblum from Coral Springs, Florida, and I have a question. If the mitzvah of the night is eating matzah and marar and telling the story, then why don't we do that right away? Why don't we first do karpas and yachas? I'm Emmanuel Rosenblum from Coral Springs, Florida. I have a question too. Why isn't the telling of the story on Seder night the way we usually tell a story, like once upon a time? Those are good questions. We don't usually push off the opportunity to do mitzvot. And telling over the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim is a major mitzvah of Seder night. Karpas dipping the vegetable into salt water isn't. Neither is yachatz when we break the middle matzah. Why do we do those things first? Why isn't Magid the part where we tell the story? Why isn't that first? And then when we finally do get to Magid, it doesn't seem like we're telling a story at all. It's like, once upon a time... There was a, wait, halach ma'anya, this is the bread of that our ancestors ate in Mitzrayim. If there are hungry people out there, come on over. Um, As I was saying, once upon a time, wait, 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 Manish Tana, the youngest person at the Seder has some questions to ask. Uh, Okay, let's try this again. Once upon a time, Avadim Hayinu Paro Bimitzrayim. Once upon a time, we were slaves to Paro in Egypt, and then Hashem saved us. Oh, and by the way, anybody who makes a point of really telling the story of Pesach, they're praiseworthy. Okay, so finally it's story time. And this sounds fascinating. I can't wait to hear more, especially if telling the story is a praiseworthy thing to do. Let's do it. Oh, wait, hang on. Actually, we interrupt this once upon a time for a different once upon a time about a seder in Benebrak. Uh, that's fine, I guess. We'll just get back to Yitzhak Mitzrayim after. Oh, no, wait. First, let's talk about the four kinds of personalities you may meet at your Seder. Um, okay. Now can we tell the story? Well, first, let's just make a point of saying that already from the beginning of the month of Nisan, we should be discussing this story. Oh, that's what I'm trying to do, but you keep interrupting me with all these other things. Oh, okay, <clears throat> let's just try this. Okay, once upon a time, our great-great-great-grandparents, they worshipped idols. But Hashem chose Avraham and Sarah, the true believers, to come to the land of Canaan and to start our beautiful nation. Wow, thank you, Hashem, for keeping that promise to Avraham and Sarah, that their descendants would leave slavery in a strange land, that we would leave with great riches. This is a great story. <gasps> Ooh, I wonder what's going to happen next. We interrupt this story to cover the matzot, hold up our cups, and sing the Hisha Amda, praising HaKadosh Baruch Hu for saving each generation of Am Yisrael from its enemies. <sighs> now can we get back to the story? Nah, first let's talk about what Lavan tried to do to us. Ooh, and then let's dissect the psukim that can help us understand the story. Wait, but I just want to hear the story. You know, like once upon a time? Nah, let's keep going with analyzing the words of the psukim. Okay, but I, I just took a peek in the Haggadah, and this goes on for quite a few pages. When are we going to get back to time to drip some grape juice out of your cup? Wait, what? Oh, and now let's do some calculations to figure out how grateful we should be for what Hashem did to our enemies. You know what would make me feel grateful? Telling the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Once upon a... Let's sing Dayenu! What? Oh, and you are not going to believe what Rabban Gamaliel says... 
And after that, quick reminder that in every generation, we must see ourselves as though we left Mitzrayim. Well, that would be a whole lot easier if we told the story of what that was actually like. Hold that thought. Let's just praise Hashem for taking us out of Mitzrayim. I am trying so hard here. I need a drink. Perfect timing. It's time to drink the second cup. Phew. Okay, story time's over. Magid's done. Wait, what? What about once upon a time? Did we really just tell over the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim? Did Magid just happen? Isn't Seder night the night of our story? (sighs) Whenever I feel stuck like this, I always look for an expert to learn from. So today we have questions about storytelling on Pesach, and there is no one more perfect to turn to with these questions than the expert of storytelling, Rabbi Chanoch Teller. Rabbi Teller, welcome. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you very much. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself for whoever is not as familiar? Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, first of all, thank you for your very kind words. Uh, I'm, I'm blushing. Uh, about myself, uh, I'm an educator, uh, an author, and uh, I guess it's kind of fortunate my last name is Teller, but I don't believe it had anything to do with the fact that I do tell stories. But there's no question that the Pesach Seder is that we have a mitzvah once a year. Every single day of the year, we have a mitzvah to remember what happened when we went out of Egypt. Every year, we have, every day we have that mitzvah. There's a special commandment on Pesach night to tell, relate the story of going out of Egypt, which is a separate mitzvah. So if there's ever a time to tell a story, that would be it. And personally, what happens at our Seder, I mean, who knows what's going to be this year? And last year really was different. But after, basically after Manishtan, I just sit everybody down and I tell the story of going out of Mitzrayim. And that takes a good hour and a half. And I go through all the details and I, you know, I embed Midrashim in it and I give modern takes. And uh, we have an interview with someone, Egyptian on the spot, who's reporting for Egyptian news what's happening. And it gets the kids very engaged. And that is the mitzvah. The mitzvah is to engage. But a story is thing people remember. And uh, I, I meet children. I, I often speak in schools overseas. People come over to me 40 years later and tell me they remember what I said, a story I told them when they were in third grade. I don't believe they remember all the divrei Torah they were taught in third grade, or for that matter, uh, all the social studies and history and geography they were taught. A story has the ability to make a transient ontological message carries over and it stays with a person. So what is it about a story over all these other ways we try to communicate important ideas that sticks? Why a story? Basically, for a story to be successful, it has to be usually a story, if it's intriguing, that engages the mind. But if you make it personal, then you can even relate to it more. For example, Natan uh, Hanavi wanted to castigate King David. So he didn't tell him you've done a terrible thing. He told him a story. There was a fellow who had only one little poor Shepsula, and some stole him. King David got all worked up. He said, the man shall die. He said, Atayish, you are the man. He would not have been willing to hear it, but once he heard a story, he was able to put it, throw himself into it and then realized how guilty he in fact was. So I wonder if when it comes to a story, we relate to it on such a, a human level that we open ourselves more to a story than to anything else. And Seder night, we have to be so open to it. Sometimes I have to give workshops on storytelling. The fact of the matter is you read a newspaper in the morning and it's hard to remember what you read. But when you read a story, it stays with you. That's the way the mind is wired. So I guess our big question here is if such a focal point of the Seder is the story, why do we do other things first, like the karpas and dipping in the salt water, and then yachat, splitting the middle matzah? Why don't we just jump right in, 
kiddish and then it's story time uh that's a good question and the answer would probably be it's because we want to make the story effective carpas is an appetizer and like all good appetizers it indicates that something good is coming something better is even coming and carpas is bland you have to dip it to give it a little more flavor uh so the idea of carpas is we're going to start off with piquing the interest of the children and if we get them interested you know you can tell the most engaging story if nobody's listening you're not going to get anywhere i know this i'm a teacher so first you have to grab their interest there's a story that uh, there was a man who's trying to get a donkey to move and he's pushing it and hauling it, and this donkey wouldn't move this man walked by and he said, that's not how you get a donkey to move. So how do you get a donkey to move? You have to whisper sweet things in its ear and talk in a very refined way and promise it all kinds of candies. And then you uh, can get it to, to move. He said, really? Yeah. So he's just about to whisper. And then this old man takes the man, who, the mule leader who told him you have to whisper sweet things in its ear, takes his two by four plank and he clanks it over the head. He said, what are you doing? I thought you said you had to, sweet, you have to tell sweet things to it. And... Uh, Stroke its ego, he said, yes, but first you have to get its attention. So that's what a story does. Story, you know, but if they're not paying attention, you can say the best story in the world, they're not, they're not listening. So Karpas is the appetizer, we get them involved. Yachatz is the story of the Jewish people. Yachatz means, like Yaakov, we find that verse that Yaakov divided into two camps. If this camp will be smitten, the other camp will survive. So there is no way you take a hand-baked matzah. There's no way to break it that'll come out evenly down the middle. One is always going to be the larger piece. And that we put away. That's the dessert. That's the afikoman. So our stories are is that we have, our stories often have breakage, but we look forward to the future. And that's what karpas is also. We take karpas, which uh, is vegetation, its growth, its future, and we dip it into the ocean of tears of our past. And we want to combine the past. And so we have had a very sad past, but we always believe that our future will be bright and sunny and wonderful. I think those are the two reasons why that is the prelude to the story. Wow, what an idea to go into Seder with. Um, I think before we go, I just want to point out to everybody who's listening that I appreciate everybody who's come here to hear everything that Rav Teller and I are talking about today, um, but that it's important even for me, for teachers, to have people to be inspired by. And I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're very kind. And uh, we should, this would be the month of Geula, of, uh, of salvation, redemption, all the things that are befalling us for Amen. a brighter future. Amen. Thank you so much, Rabbi Teller. Hi, I'm Gavi from London, and I have a joke. Why wouldn't Moshe let Nashon use his staff? He couldn't part with it. <laughs> People have been telling stories for thousands of years because it's a great way to share what happened. It's more exciting. A good story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. They're easy to remember. But when we tell the Pesach story at the Seder, is it even a story? Look in the Haggadah. It's really hard to find a beginning. We say Mitchila, which sounds like Hatchala, beginning, but we're saying this in the middle of Magid. And there are lots of other parts that could just as easily be the beginning of the story. And where does it end? Who are the characters? What's going on? Luckily, I've got a friend who knows everything there is to know about stories. I'm so happy to welcome Shira Lincoln-Sheps to I've Got a Question. Welcome, Shira. 
Tell us about what you do. Thank you so much for having me, Shira. Um, I am the publisher and founder of an online magazine for grownups called The Layers Project. And what I do is I interview Jewish women. We talk about the tough stuff. We talk about the wonderful stuff. I take photographs of them and I write their stories. You spend so much of your time telling stories, and we're getting ready to spend so much of our time on the Seder night telling the story of our people. Shira, why are stories such a big deal? People have been telling stories since the beginning of time. Stories is the way that we understand the world. It's how we learn about other people, other cultures. It's also how we learn about ourselves. And um, our society moves forward when we tell stories because it expands, which means it grows our understanding of the world and of life and of the human experience, what it means to be a person. And that is tremendously valuable and a really worthy way to spend your time. I know it is for me. When you're interviewing someone for a story, do you always start at the beginning? Very often not, because our memories don't work in chronological order, which is why I think a lot of Magid is. Magid is a lot of bringing up old memories, memories that are even older than Yitzhak Mitzrayim, right? For the purpose of giving us a backdrop and a history so that we understand where we're coming from and how we ended up in the situation in Mitzrayim. So very often when I interview people, um, they start at at their beginning. And that's actually the first question that I always ask them. My first question is, where does the beginning feel for you? Because usually the beginning doesn't necessarily feel as if it's going to be where we thought we would have necessarily gone. It can start when we were young. It can start yesterday. It can start with something that you're worrying about for the future. And so um, in stories, beginnings can be any point in the story, as long as we know what kind of story we want to tell. The way we give over the story in Magid at the Seder is less like a once upon a time story and a bit all over the place. It's almost as though we tell the story the way someone who was there might tell it. Yeah, that's really true. And I think what's another really important part is one of the mitzvot of the night is to think of yourself as somebody who left Mitzrayim. But what that really is trying to say is that we need to see ourselves in the context, in the place and in the setting of the longer story of the Jewish people. That's why it's so important for us to remember Yitziat Mitzrayim and to think of ourselves as if we left it because what that does is it reminds us of who we are today and where we need to go in the future. Shira, the more we're talking, the more you're helping me see that I'm not just living my life. I'm the main character in my story, a story that's being written around me each day. It's a big responsibility. It is a big responsibility, but I will tell you, I think that the most important thing is to realize that you are a main character in your own story, because a lot of times people feel that things just happen to them, that they don't have a lot of control over what goes on. And especially when you're a kid, it's hard to be able to make choices about, you know, when you go to bed and whether your parents will let you, you know, do this thing or go to this place. And so, especially when you're small, it feels like we don't have a lot of choices, but sometimes when we're grownups, it also feels that way. And so it's important to remember that we have the opportunity in the spaces that we can to make choices about our behavior, how we act, who we spend time with, if we can, you know, like friends, you know, those are choices that we can make that are going to inform our own story the long, in the long run. So how do I make my story worth telling? 
I think what's really important is the story that we tell ourselves about our own life, about what we're experiencing. We can speak nicely to ourselves or we can speak harshly to ourselves, but really we can be kinder to ourselves. And, and the language that we use to speak to ourselves really makes a difference in how we think about ourselves, how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about other people. And so I think it's really important that the story that we tell ourselves is one of kindness and empathy. Empathy means feeling the feelings of somebody else. So just imagine if you were talking to somebody else, would you speak the way that you speak to yourself? to somebody else? And if the answer is yes, then you're probably okay. You know, if you say, oh, I would never speak to my email like that. I would never speak to my friend like that. Then maybe you should say, well, how can I speak to myself in a nicer way, in a kinder way, in a way that's going to make me feel good and understand that there are things that I can control and things that I can't. I think one of the biggest choices we make about what happens to us isn't even the things that happen, but how we choose to think about it afterwards. Like, Let's say I fail at something. I mean, like really messed up. When I think back on that experience, am I going to feel ashamed? Or maybe instead, I can be proud that even though I messed up, I moved forward from it, right? That's what the Haggadah is doing, isn't it? It's not just telling us what happened, but it's talking to us in a way that we can look back at the times we were down and be proud of how far we've come anyway. Yeah, I think that there's a mistake that happens, even grownups feel this way, is that we have to be perfect, that everything about us has to be perfect. We have to be the perfect student and the perfect athlete and the perfect behavior and the perfect this and the perfect that. But the truth is that we're human and humans are not perfect. Sometimes we make a mistake, you know? We try to rectify it, which means to fix it. We try to fix it, we try to make it better. And sometimes we can, and sometimes we can't, but the language that we use to talk about ourselves to ourselves in our own head, you know, we have thoughts and we think in our own, our own head out loud, those conversations that we have with ourselves is really, it really can, can help us or it can hurt us. You know, we can be kind to ourselves and say, Hey, you know, you made a mistake and that wasn't great. And it happened because of this reason, but you learn from it. And then maybe tomorrow will be a different day. You know, that kind of, that kind of self-talk, that's what we call it, self-talk when you talk to yourself is really healthy and really good and can help you, you know, in your life. This idea of speaking in a way that makes meaning of our experiences, I think that's what the Haggadah is trying to do, not just to tell us what happened, but to tell us in a way that helps us make meaning of it all. Yeah, I think it's really important to note that the, a lot of the psukim from the Haggadah are actually not from Shmot, but they're from Devarim. They're actually from a much later chapter where Moshe is talking about what happened in Mitzrayim. He's looking backwards. It's not someone who's talking about it as it's happening. It's someone who's reflecting, thinking about something that happened in the past. And so that's what a lot of storytelling is. It's taking a moment after everything goes quiet, after the experience is over or while it's happening, but past the point where you can say, you know, or give it a different thought, give it a different, uh, a different understanding. We can make meaning of it. And when I say make meaning, I mean, make sense of what happened to us or what we did or how we lived. And I think that it's really beautiful that um, on Seder night that, that the Haggadah really focuses kind of looking backwards because I think looking backwards is really important for us because especially the, at the end of the Seder, what the point is really is that we need to look forwards. 
because that's how we continue. Seder night, the, the, the Magid experience is really about learning where we come from, learning why we act the way that we act, why we keep the mitzvot, and, and, and learning about the promises that Hashem made us for Geula, you know, Yitziat Mitzrayim, to be taken out of Mitzrayim and to live in Eretz Yisrael. And now, as Jewish people living all over the world, we have the opportunity to say, hey, you know, this is what happened to our great, 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 great grandparents, you know, all the way back. What does Hashem expect from us? What does Hashem want from us? How do we live as Jewish people today in 2021? You know, and looking around the world, it's a crazy time. Sometimes it feels scary. Sometimes it's confusing. But what's really wonderful is the Seder is a, a fabulous opportunity to remember that Hashem made promises to us and that we are living, you know, the the journey of the Jewish people that started a long, long time ago. And, and that sometimes hard times can come, but it doesn't mean that they're going to stay and that we can be taken out of hard things and that, you know, our connection with Hashem is something that's really precious and there's a lot of opportunity to look forward and be excited and hopeful for the future. But as our time today comes to an end, how do you know when you've reached the end of a story? I think that's such a good question because a lot of stories don't end, you know, just because you're telling the story of somebody, God willing life goes on. You know, things change, generations come after, and sometimes stories don't end. And endings can be important, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's about beginnings and opening up conversations and talking about things that are really important. And sometimes we should think more about the, the beginnings and the endings. But in general, you know, sometimes it's about feeling closed. It's like when you've, when you've got the point where you feel like, you know what, I understand this. This person really said something that makes sense to me. I feel changed. I feel like I learned something. It doesn't mean that the life stopped or the story stopped and life didn't go on, but it can just be that I've learned the thing that the author set out to teach me. And that can be when a story ends. So when does the Pesach story end? I don't think that it does. I think that we're still living it. I think we're still, we're still, we're still in that, you know, Gula stage. We're still waiting for redemption. We're still waiting for Mashiach. We're still, we're still, we're still a part of it. We're still living it right now. So maybe when we show up to the Seder, it's not just to tell the story, it's to continue it. I love that. I think that's true. And I think it's a, it's a blueprint. It's a map to tell us, you know, what Hashem wants from us, what he promised us and what we can look forward to in the future. Wow. Well, I'm looking forward to in the future, reading your new book. I'm so excited. Thank you. I can imagine <laughs> a lot you. of other people listening feel the same way. Um, and I also can't wait everybody listening at home to hear the stories that you find and the stories that you gather. Cause Shira said, right. You're, you're, you're only, you've only been gathering the stories of Jewish women so far. And mm -hmm. there are so many other stories to hear. So many, right? so many. So hopefully mm -hmm. everybody who's listening at home can gather their own stories over Pesach. Um, maybe there are people in your family you can ask for their stories as well. And I can't wait to hear the stories that you discover. 
The point of Magid isn't to tell a once upon a time story. It's to bring us into the story. It's not a once upon a time story because it's still happening. When I come to my Seder, I hope I remember that the telling of the Pesach story was never meant to be once upon a time. I hope I remember that what we say at the Seder isn't just about giving over information. It's about connecting me to the story of the Jewish people because the story is still going on. <sighs> wow, Raziella and Emmanuel, I learned a lot from your questions today. But now I've got a question for you. Which part of the Haggadah story is the most interesting at your Seder? Hi, I'm Aguil from Englewood, New Jersey. My favorite part of the Haggadah is when we all sing Haggadiyah. Hi, I'm Amitai from New York City. My favorite part of the Seder is when we find the Afikomen, because I love playing hide-and-seek with my friends. Hi, my name is Yishai. I'm eight years old, and I'm from Israel. My favorite part of the Seder is singing Dayenu, sharing the right Torah, and eating! Thank you for listening to I've Got a Question. If you've got a question, send me a voice note to podcast at korenpub.com. And we'll see you next time. I've Got a Question is hosted by me, Shira Greenspan. Thank you to our guests, Rabbi Chanoch Teller and Shira Lincoln Sheps. I've Got a Question was produced by me, Shira Greenspan, with help from Dr. Daniel Rose and Arya Grossman, with production and editing help from Alex Drucker. I've Got a Question is a part of the Koren Podcast Network.